Welcome to Sing Those Cubby Blues. I'm David Bloomberg. And alongside is hey, David. The other David. <laughs> we love doing that. We just love the suspense. You guys know that we're both David, but we just got to draw it out. So we're back post-winter meetings. It's been a whirlwind week. I was actually there for the PBEO job fair, a lowly peon of just trying to make my way into the world of minor league broadcasting. Uh, yeah, it's been crazy. It's been a whirlwind. Uh, a lot of rumors. Ultimately, very very few major signings actually went down during the winter meetings, but there are some big. There are some ones relevant to the Cubs to definitely talk about, including one pretty major starting pitcher and one pretty major relief pitcher signing for the Cubs and a couple of minor moves and rumors to go over. Mm. I have been fanning or just keeping track of, you know, the Cubs as over this winter meetings. And I have been thoroughly excited about what they're doing. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of blowing all our money in this offseason. Yeah, it no, neither am I. I yeah. Right, and it, it was something that I said in our last episode where we kind of pre- tried to predict some of the free agents, talk over them, how they fit the Cubs. And in that I said, you know, yeah, I'd love a Jake Arrieta, a Hugh Darvish, a Wade Davis, but those don't just don't, you know, a Giancarlo Stanton, which before, last when we last recorded, he was not traded yet. And in that time, he came out with a list of four teams that he would be willing to, to trade to, to approve a trade to. One of those was the Cubs. And in that, Shohei Otani was, you know, he was down to seven teams, and all one of those teams was the Cubs. The Cubs appear to be a very attractive destination for uh, big-name players looking for uh, a good place to settle down and play for a long time. That's yeah. very encouraging. Even if we missed out on, Sh- on Stanton, which – he went for very little. We could have easily matched that offer. And we missed out on Otani. I trust this front I, office. You know, Otani was a he was going to choose and he wanted to go play with Mike Trout. And he wanted know. to and he had made it pretty clear that his preference was for the West Coast. And the AL. That, yeah, I mean that always AL West Coast that always sounded like the Mariners or the Angels to me. And yeah. that's how it ended up. And uh and it makes sense because, yeah, Mike Trout, I mean, best player in baseball. Uh, and, you know, he knows that over at shortstop, he's got one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. And clearly the Angels were committed to building more of a roster around him. They've traded for Kinsler in that time. They've signed Zach Cozart. Uh, we know earlier in the offseason they re-signed Justin Upton. They still have Cole Calhoun there. So clearly there's a team forming around that. And if Garrett Richards comes back healthy and Matt Shoemaker is healthy, then you've got a team that is capable of competing in the American League. Obviously the Astros are going to be a tough challenge to overcome in that division, but they're clearly capable of making a run towards the wild card. And once you get to the playoffs, well, Anything is possible. You just have to make it there. I thought the Angels were in a particularly good position to do that. and I don't feel bad at all that we lost out on Otani because what I feel really good about is that in spite of his reservations about coming to the Midwest, in spite of his reservations about playing for a National League team, that we were in it until the very end. I think that says good things about our front office's ability to sell themselves on potential free agents. And, I mean, we've seen that in the past, and I think it says good things about the viability of this franchise and organization right now, that players like Otani see us as a major player, that we were one of the finalists in spite of the fact that we kind of cut against pretty much all of his preferences as a player. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I, I want to go back into Stanton because a lot of people, probably including us, have Bryce Harper being our number one target next off season. Yeah, and I think yeah, if you acquire Stanton, it's you can't you, you can't Stanton, do it. No Harper, 
And so, as much as I am, I was forced to, I would have bought a Giancarlo Stanton jersey. I, I mean, the dude is awesome and I love him. And he went for nothing. And that, that a reaction that is reasonable would be, why didn't the Cubs try a little bit harder? Because, they could have beat the package. The, because, uh, because you did. Well, because the Yankees are only eating like 30 million total off of that mm-hmm. remaining like 295 million worth of salary. So that's all that that's a well, lot to shell out. My thing there is that the Cubs could have um could have provided more talent, but it's but I think that the hang up is not necessarily that the Cubs could have sent Ian Happ, who's better than Starlin Castro, who's younger, more control, he's more talented at second base. You know, the the exact he, we could have beaten the offer. But the Marlins were looking for salary eating. What team is better at eating salary than the Yankees? Plus, Derek Jeter is the one negotiating. He was likely more comfortable working with the Yankees than he is with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. Yeah, I and I mean... It's a no-brainer. And it was a good fit, you know, because the Yankees are going to have salary come off the books at a time when it'll allow them to stay under the luxury tax threshold and still pay out that kind of salary. Uh, and to a large degree, it's the guys like Greg Bird and Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino who are all helping them to stay under the luxury tax threshold because those are essentially superstar-level players at bargain basement prices. You know, the Cubs have kind of a similar thing going on, but we also have Jason Hayward's contract which means that if you're looking at a Harper who could maybe be like a like a four hundred million dollar contract or something like you can't have a Harper and a Stanton and have Hayward. It's already gonna be tough to bring in like Harper and have Hayward's salary on the books, but I feel the Cubs could finagle that and figure it out. The Cubs have already finagled it and figured it out. I was looking at Jason Hayward the other day. His contract this year is 28 million on a salary hit. Next year it drops to 20 million, and he has an opt out after next year and after the year after that. So let's say maybe he one maybe he bounces back this year next year and reclaims some value where he could hit the tra- the market again. You know, unlikely. We aren't betting on that. We're assuming he's going to be around for the duration of his contract. That's okay, but. His contract drops down to $20 million, which is 10 extra million dollars that we wouldn't have before. So the Cubs have already planned to front load this contract. He's already made like $80 million. So really you've got Hayward on a six-year $120 million deal. And when you say that, eh, it's not too bad. Yeah, and you can definitely bring in a Harper, but you can't do Harper and Stanton. That money right. is explosive yes. and... Uh, and it wouldn't even really make sense. There's not enough outfield spots to really go around for both guys who are neither one of whom are like an extraordinary defensive asset, but whose bats are so spectacular that you don't really care. Um, I don't think anybody is really worried about getting both. I don't think that was the option. The option was, was one or the other. Stanton, or do we do we want Stanton and lose Ian Happ? And, and some I think other it, middling prospects and all that salary, but we pay less. But it might be for you know with no opt out, where Bryce might take a three year opt out and opt out again. And I, yeah, and I think we should yeah. note that like the Cubs never appeared to be in on Stanton, anyways. Like he was mentioning that he would be willing to be traded to the Cubs, but of the teams who he listed as possibilities, like. The Astros and the Cubs really didn't kick the tires on him at all. I don't think the Dodgers did either. The Dodgers outfield is very crowded. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers... Young young good players. The Dodgers at least had some, like, vague form of interest, but even they said, like, we can't push ourselves that far over the luxury tax right now. Yeah, I mean, they're looking ahead to next offseason, too, where, like, if they put themselves (laughs) that far over the luxury tax now, they're just not going to be able to bring back Clayton Kershaw. Which is like what we heard with with the guy the Cubs, you know the big reliever signing the Cubs made this week was Brandon Morrow, mm-hmm. and we heard that we he he even said that the Dodgers were his first choice, 
That makes sense. Relievers who come out of nowhere and show dominant stuff and have huge success after having had a rough go of it with injuries and such as starters, they turn into great relievers. The team that helps you succeed, a lot of these guys, it's usually the team they want to come back to. That's not that stunning that, like, he would be inclined to say, okay, the Dodgers helped me achieve this level of success. They'd be my first choice to return to. But they told him they really couldn't bring him back because of luxury tax concerns. They couldn't afford it. So that's interesting for a number of reasons and the implications it has for the whole league, for baseball as a whole and also for the long for like the viability of certain franchises abilities to overspend money on big time players but also just I mean we saw you know that they couldn't have Stanton right now and so of the teams he was willing to be traded to it really seemed like the Yankees were the only ones who were super interested you know because I, I yeah well I was and the report was that the Stan gave the list to the Marlins before anything else. He said, these are my four teams. And the Marlins contacted all the teams. Hey, do you want Giancarlo Stanton? And and none of the teams even brought any interest to it because they're like, well, we've got some financial tie-ups. Well, I mean, like. But, and then the Marlins went and talked to the, the Cardinals. They and I mean, the Giants, cause and the problem was. Deals and Stanton struck them down. Well, the problem was the, the Marlins approach to it, you know, is like. We want someone to eat this salary. If they go to these teams and say, we'll eat half the remaining contract, or we'll eat 45% of the remaining contract, and trade him to you, everyone's going to then be jumping at the chance to acquire the guy because he's a reigning MVP who can hit 50 or more home runs a year and put up 6-plus war of value, he can be a huge boon to the middle of your lineup. Uh, and if you're eating enough salary to make it viable, then yeah, everybody's going to be on board. But in the Cubs and the Astros and the Dodgers' uh, minds, there's a concern there that uh, it's a really good free agent market next offseason. All of those teams already have a bunch of young players who they're counting on only getting better over time. Uh, a lot of them are willing to trust the development of their farm systems to come through for them. Um, I mean, those are teams that already have a large part of their cores in place, and they can do without a Stanton. They don't need Stanton, you know. I mean, only one team can get Harper, but, you know, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Astros don't necessarily need a Bryce Harper or a Stanton, although getting Harper for the Cubs would be awesome and cool. And seems like it seems like it has a fair likelihood of happening. It just, uh, you know, it, once again, these are teams that are already really great. Those are three really great franchises right now. And in order to acquire a Stanton, they would have had to have that cost come down significantly. Right. The Yankees I are. I want to say, yeah, I want to say that I think the. Um, well, actually, you go ahead. <laughs> Lost that completely. We'll oh, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees, <laughs> you know, they're seeing him as, like, the piece to make them the evil empire again. You know, we'll throw him out there with with Bird and Judge and Sanchez and Hicks and Didi Gregorius and Gleyber Torres, mm -hmm. and we will be the evil empire once again you know and that that lineup will look something insane to start the season where you're going to have greg bird where you're going to have uh didi gregorius where you're going to have gliber torres where you're going to have aaron judge Giancarlo stanton aaron hicks uh they're talking about possibly trading clint frazier so i'll hold off on saying frazier um, you know, Gary Sanchez, you're going to have Luis Severino, Masahiro Tanaka. You're going to have a bullpen with Dellen Batances and Araldis Chapman and Chad Green and David Robertson and Tommy Canely. So, I mean, 
That is an extraordinary team at mm-hmm. a at a high price, but it's an extraordinary team. Right, and what I was going to say is I with the additions, uh, which is fairly minor. We've we've touched on uh, Brandon Morrow a little bit, but so the Cubs picked up Brandon Morrow for three years, well, two years with an option and twenty one million. Yeah. They picked up Steve C. Sheck for two years, $14 million. And I really like that one. You, you mentioned only one major reliever signing. Steve C. Sheck might be my favorite of the three. Um, and well, I, I mean, have, I, th- I think... But then uh, you have Tyler Chatwood, who got three years, $38 million. Yeah, and these are all really good signings for where the Cubs are at because there's going to be a ton of starting pitchers on the market next offseason. Just a whole bunch. And it's fair to say that the Cubs would probably be more interested in that group of starting pitchers as long-term assets. But they definitely, but here's the thing we ran up against was we needed two right now. We're in a weird spot because the market for starting pitching is so-so this offseason and much better next offseason when you have Clayton Kershaw and Dallas Keuchel and a whole bunch of other good to great starters who would be available. But you need two right now. I have a thought on that, and I was looking up the, the starters for next offseason to kind of just see what, what's there. Next offseason has Craig Kimbrell, Andrew Miller. It has uh, Cody Allen, Zach Britton. There's a huge crop of really elite relief pitchers. you got Kershaw, Keuchel, um, and David Price potentially, also uh, Pomeranz. And Patrick Corbin, some of these like, and Garrett Richards. Yeah, Garrett all, Richards will these, be there some too. Some of these yeah. like lower, they're lower tier guys, but with that potential, I don't necessarily see. But there's no depth to it. It's just a couple of guys, and so with the position players is far and away the strength of the class. You got Machado, you got Harper, you got Daniel Murphy, you got um, uh, Charlie Blackman. There's some real star power coming out as um, position players and relievers, and that's kind of where I think the Cubs may they only they only need one position player next offseason, and Machado and Harper both fit. You can move Bryant to the outfield and play Machado at, at third base. I do. Um, I, I think that what we like, I think what we've seen on the earlier reports is Machado prefers New York probably, while Harper prefers Chicago and. That could wind up the other way around, but but yeah, I mean, li- I mean, I think the Cubs probably come away with one of those two guys. And but that's next that's next off season. This off season, we've got Brandon Morrow, who dominated the Cubs last year. He had a 1.55 FIP on the year. Uh, dude, what dude threw 40 innings and, and struck out like dominated. a third of his hitters faced. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was dominant. incredible. Yeah. He throws a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, 93-mile-an-hour cutter, and 89-mile-an-hour slider, which is just obscene. He screams closer, but I have a theory. And it's that closer, there's only a few real true closers in baseball right now. It's Kenley Jansen, Craig Kimbrell, uh, Aroldis Chapman, maybe Wade Davis. But the, and, and you th- think about the last th- four World Serieses. Three of those had a starting pitcher on the mound, if you count Mike Montgomery as a starting pitcher, on the mound for the final out. You don't necessarily have to have a closer to win the World Series. You just have to have a good bullpen that can keep you up through a World Series of seven games. Brandon Morrow fits that perfectly. He's elite. He can he can get us through the regular season. You know, he can get outs in the eighth inning, ninth inning, doesn't matter. And they signed Steve Ciszek, who has pitched in the ninth inning a lot. He's a very, very experienced reliever. He's almost the polar opposite of Brandon Morrow. He throws 85 miles an hour from sidearm and underhand, kind of a submarine almost delivery. It's going to be a different look from the bullpen, but Ciszek has been always been able to keep the ball on the ground. He's always been able to get right-handed hitters out. I love that he's in there as kind of a right-handed specialist who can provide a different look. I mean, think about it. If you have Steve Ciszek coming in after even just Tyler Chatwood, where he's throwing 94-95, then you bring in Steve Ciszek, who's throwing underhand, 
84, 85 miles an hour. Then you bring in Brandon Morrow throwing 99. They're generating so many different looks that that's such a devastating switch. Yeah, and those two can kind of go back and forth. Yeah, and what I mean, so I, I like it. And what I love is like the middle relief market has been really good to guys this off season. Like Juan Nicasio, like just signed with the Mariners for like two years, 17 million. Joe Smith signed for two years, 15 million. And I mean, like I like Joe Smith, but if I can have Steve Ciszek for two years, 14 million, as compared to those guys, yeah, I'm gonna take that. Mm-hmm. Especially given Ciszek's last couple seasons, and if you throw in his 2013 and 2014, like. You can't ignore the really bad 2015, but outside of that, ever since 2013, this guy's been an either good or great reliever, and his last half season with the Rays, under the tutelage of Jim Hickey, our new pitching coach, he was phenomenal. He was fantastic. So, like, there again is the common link in the chain, is uniting a guy, reuniting a guy with Jim Hickey and seeing what he can do. And there's another guy out there on the market still left. Jake McGee hasn't signed anywhere, and he's worked with Hickey too. So we haven't heard too much about him, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, here's my here's my thing, and, and this is kind of where I bring in somebody that we've talked about as a as a fit for the Cubs before, Brian Dunsing. Steve Ciszek gets right-handed hitters out really well. He can he that that angle is just really tough for right-hand hitters, but for lefties. They've hit him hard for pretty much his entire career. Um, I believe that the Cubs can add one more arm to the pen, especially considering what Mike Montgomery said, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the Cubs can add a guy from the left side who throws strikes and has closing experience. Now, you might not know who I'm talking about. Tony Watson, who used to pitch for the Pirates. Left-handed, had a bad year to start the year last year. Last couple of years, he's been bad. But before that, really good. Went to the Dodgers and found his groove again. I really think Tony Watson is like the perfect guy to compliment Steve Ciszek, where you have two guys with closing experience that can kind of backdoor the ninth inning all year. And then you'll have those two guys who've been experienced in games for a long time. Yeah, I Mentoring mean... up Carl Edwards, Dylan Maples. Yeah, helping Justin Wilson get his groove back. I mean, that's just it's maybe yeah, so yeah. well. And if you miss on Tony Watson, you can always go get Brian Dunsing. I just feel really that's comfortable with Dunsing and the relationship yeah. between him and the organization. But it's possible with somebody like Watson. I mean, we hadn't heard anything about Ciszek until this happened with the Cubs. Like we hadn't heard a lot about him until the signing happened. I mean, we knew the Cubs were functionally in on a lot of relievers, but we'd heard more about Nicasio, we'd heard more about Shaw, we had heard more about Jake McGee, Addison Reed, um, and Reed, you know, there's another guy still hasn't signed with anybody. Uh, I'm still 100% on board with Addison Reed. I'm absolutely for, you know, Tony Watson, that plan. Um, even taking a guy like Joel Chassin or Trevor Cahill and letting Mike Montgomery switch with them so that they take the swingman role and Mike Montgomery takes that fifth starter spot, that's fine with me too. Yeah, there's a whole um, lot of ways the Cubs could go, but we've still got that starting rotation spot open, and we still have little idea what's going on with Alex Cobb, and we still have functionally one bullpen spot open. The Cubs could probably fill it internally at this stage if they had to, but you think they? I would think they'll probably at least go for somebody who's a little bit cheaper, maybe that third tier of relievers. You know, we kind of got we got the first tier of relievers guy with Morrow, we got the second tier of relievers guy with Ciszek. Uh I think we might go into that third tier and grab someone like a Watson or a Dunsing, who is pretty much more of a specialist, and bring them in or in Dunsing's case, retain. But that's, you know, I brought up Cobb. So we know the Cubs have been connected to Cobb for a long time. We know the Jim Hickey connection is obvious. We also know he's one of the only starting pitchers on the market this offseason who's interested, you know, like a dozen or so teams. 
so that makes things difficult. We're bidding against others. You have to presume at least. And so we get this report the last few days. He's looking for $20 million a year. Now, I don't know if anybody has offered him that or will offer him that. I presume if someone had offered him that, he'd already be signed. I don't blame him and his team for trying to go for that and then working teams down on the money. But it's very clear that this would not work for the Cubs. Uh, well, here's and, and it's something that we've kind of touched on with you, Darvish, being recently to, as a couple hours ago connected to the Cubs uh, through a Japanese report. Um, and it's where if Alex Cobb's looking for twenty million, you Darvish can't be looking for too much more than that per year. So why wouldn't the Cubs just splash the extra cash in and get you Darvish when? You know, if you Darvish at say twenty four million a year versus Alex Cobb at twenty million a year, that I, I'm taking you Darvish. Now I don't necessarily want to commit in the next six years into you Darvish, but I think that's at least a better option than giving Alex Cobb four or five years at twenty million, just because Alex Cobb's unproven. He's he's been hurt. He didn't have the splitter back last year. He wasn't as effective. You know, yes, he would be nice, but at this point, I really like the starting rotation. I love the upside of Tyler Chatwood. I know we haven't even barely touched on him because it happened two weeks ago. But Tyler Chatwood, he's a guy we talked about as if there was no way the Cubs were going to sign him because we thought he was such an obvious reclamation project for anyone in baseball that wasn't the Rockies. I just felt like there was no way that – because he was such a clear, um, you know, he throws 95 miles an hour. He's a great curveball. The curveball improves away from home, away from Coors. He's a, you know, 2016, he was a 1.7 ERA pitcher away from Coors. I mean, the dude has a good strikeout rate. His walk rate is kind of high, but it's higher at Coors where he's trying to nibble and not throw strikes where they're going to get crushed. Uh I, I just feel like it, the, it was just too obvious that there was no way that the Cubs were going to do it. And they went and overpaid for the guy. They said, we're, we're going to lay down $38 million on this guy. And until today, when Carlos Santana signed, that was the highest deal that got signed in the offseason thus far. Yeah, I mean, 338 I mean, seems a little high relative to what he was expected to get, but it also makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it does, just given what starting pitching costs anymore – if that guy's a solid number four starter for you, then that deal pays for itself and some. I mean, not even a problem. I've seen some comparisons and some you know, comments uh, because, as we recall, the Cardinals just traded some Marcelo Zuna. They traded pretty much nothing. They traded Sandy Alcantara. I like Sandy Alcantara a lot. He pitched against the Cubs a couple times down the stretch, and he threw 100 miles an hour. Lights out. We couldn't touch him. He was really good. So fair there that he was a decent player. And I guess Sierra was in there. He's okay. Those guys are so young at all. For Marcelo Zuna, we've been guaranteed for when guy guy. Yeah, no, Jose Quintana. Quintana is the best pitcher on the team. Quintana jumps straight to the ace spot for me, and I think that not enough Cubs fans get that. Quintana's been a great pitcher for four years plus, and he's super consistent. And last year he had his best numbers of his career in his games with the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, I think he only, I think he's going to be an ace. I think John Lester's going to be kind of like a number two. I think he'll have a better year than he had last year overall and probably go back to something a little bit closer to what, you, what you're what you used to from him. Um, and Hendricks is right there in that number two, number three tier, or number one tier with just a little bit of better performance. I mean, that's a good pitch. That's a really good front three. Mm-hmm. It's a really how, good front three. 
to me, I think you could order it any way where Hendrix is your one, Lester's your two, Quintana's your three, or any other way, Lester one, Hendrix two, whatever. Any way of those ways would be fair and it would be great. This is about, this is functionally about replacing those back two starting pitchers that you're losing. That's what this is about. It's about the fact that Arietta is gone, that Lackey is gone. Um, we had four pitchers last season in the last few seasons who you could have mixed and matched as your top four who were all kind of at least, who were all at least number two types mm-hmm. and who alternated being the number one type guy. Uh, and, now we have three of those guys, and you're just trying to find somebody who's a solid 3-4 type. And Chatwood seems like that to me. He's always seemed like that to me, especially on the road. Uh, it's a good signing. And so now the only question is what to do with that fifth spot. And the Cubs prefer to put Montgomery in the bullpen. And I still believe they're going to sign another starting pitcher or trade for one, although... I don't know if we'll trade for one. I think it's more likely we just sign somebody. But Yes, uh, and it's fun you bring up Mike Montgomery. That'll swing us right back into what he said. The report came out the other day that Montgomery wanted to start. He felt like it was better for his career to be starting at this point. Starters make more money down the road, and he feels like he's a capable starter. He knows the Cubs have a starting option, and they know he knows they're looking for starters. So... Him speaking out makes sense to me. Um, and if the Cubs really want to keep him in the swingman role, it's one of those, then you're going to make him really unhappy, and he may not perform as well when he's really unhappy. Uh, so do you entertain the idea of lumping in Montgomery in a trade for a starter? And then maybe, like I said before, signing a guy like Chassin or Cahill to fill the role of swingman later on or do you say we're just going to throw Montgomery in that five spot and we'll roll with him or do you play him in his current role I mean what do you do with this This I mean really strange it's like if he were the thing that would get us trade for the kind of starter we want over the hill if he could get it over that last hurdle sure but I don't know if he would uh, and, but if he could, then yeah, of course you would. On the other hand, like, I don't know that those other guys can do, can play the role he's been playing as well as he has played it. On the, on the other, other, other hand, like, I don't know how many starting pitchers are on the market right now who I think would equal his performance as a back-end starting pitcher. He would come a lot cheaper and would probably do just as good, if not better, of a job as somebody like, say, Chris Tillman, mm-hmm. who, yeah, you could, who, you, who you could go and get cheap. Um, and the, But the question is, uh, the Cubs seem really committed to him in the role he's been in, which makes a lot of sense because he's very good at it, and he showed flashes of being a really good guy to be have in the starting rotation, but he also was inconsistent with it. So it, it, the question is, would he be good on a consistent basis? And we always see this question run up against itself with baseball teams, the Cubs included, where you have a guy who might be a good starting pitcher if given the chance, but it's not the role your team needs him in right now. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's tough for him, and that's tough for his career, and I don't begrudge the guy at all saying he wants to start because I think he probably deserves that chance, if not here, somewhere. I think he deserves that opportunity, and it's tough on him to land with a team that right now honestly needs him in the role that he's been playing, needs him to play that, continue to play that role, and where we've got enough options on the starting pitcher market of like tertiary guys who we can use to fill the number five spot where it's easy enough to put him back into that role. But it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because if he is going to be really unhappy, then it's hard to keep him around and let that fester. And we've heard comments to the effect from Theo and Jed over the last few years that they really do care a lot 
about how the locker room chemistry is, about the effect that has on it. I mean, they cut Miguel Montero largely because guys in the locker room had soured on him after comments he made. Like, I mean, that, it shows that it is important. That within reason, Mm -hmm. they will try to maintain that semblance of team chemistry and the ability of the guys to get along because workplace harmony. You don't, you're, you're, in any job or occupation you have, it's probably easier to do a good job at work if you go in every day knowing that you like the people you're working with and you can get along with them than it is if you hate them and despise them and can't stand to look at them and you hate the place you're at and the job you're doing and the work is unfulfilling for you. Mm-hmm. And that's Montgomery. It's like, I think he likes the people, but he's worried that the work is going to be unfulfilling. He's worried that the work is not going to be what he wants it to be. He's worried that there's an opportunity he believes he deserves to have and that he's worked hard enough and done well enough to deserve, but that he's not going to be able to have it. And I don't blame the Cubs, and I don't blame him, because we're the Cubs are in a different place than Montgomery is, and he's in a different place than the Cubs are in on it. So it's hard to say what will happen either way and what the Cubs really should do with him and about the whole situation. It is hard to say. It's and see, I you know I've been pondering what to do because this is maybe the most interesting thing that's happened over the week, and it's not really something either of us, any of us, expected. Uh, and I, even I, Theo and Jed sounded in the interviews; they sounded surprised that this was even a possibility. Um, and I, they said they were sitting down and talking to him, and I, you know, I get it. Maybe his role wasn't clearly defined. Maybe he, when he got the starting job last year and pitched okay that he could he thought he kind of meant deserve to go forward you know and, and just be in that role going forward and the Cubs kind of are like well we don't really want that we want you to be the swing man because you're good at it um, but I want to get out the message that Mike Montgomery should not be called selfish for wanting what's best for him that's that's standard don't you want what's best for you at your job if you're getting treated unfairly don't you want to step forward and say hey i'm getting treated unfairly you know it's not a it's not an uncommon thing now why he went to the media i don't know only he'd be able to tell you that i think think it's a bad thing i think maybe he thought that like by doing that he could maybe put pressure on the cubs to come up with a solution uh and that's not necessarily wrong you know, because the more that media members are asking questions about it, the more the times the Cubs have to answer the question, and eventually you kind of just get tired of answering the question. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, like, that's a game guys play, and I don't, you know, I really just, I don't begrudge a guy for using every option in his playbook to try and get what he wants. The right to self-determination is something that's granted to professional athletes far too seldomly, and when you get the opportunity, you know, try to take it. Mm-hmm. So the Cubs have been connected on a couple of trade rumors that we can address, uh, just a couple of players, I would say, and they're all pretty much all starting pitchers. Now, we know Christian Yelich is up in, ling- in limbo. Woo! But... Trade, it, trade lightning round. All right. I was going to say, but if the... <laughs> If Christian Yelich is is not traded, which I would assume is the case, I don't think they should trade him. But, you know, they traded Marcelo Zuna and Giancarlo Stan for peanuts, so maybe Yelich could go on the block. Well, the thing is, Yelich Yelich has the most trade value of the three, given his contract situation and ability. Right. So, the Cubs were rumored to be in on. Danny Duffy and Scott Alexander from the Royals. Scott Alexander is a ground ball specialist. Danny Duffy has four more years, about $60 million left on an extension. He signed in, San- in Kansas City, and Danny Duffy saw the rumors that he was involved in trade talks and tweeted yesterday, bury me a Royal, and Kansas City is the greatest city in the world. So Danny Duffy doesn't want to get traded. But I would guess that there's a strong chance he will be. Yes, I 
I don't think his Twitter feelings are going to be hurt when he's pitching on a team that's contending for the playoffs versus not. You know what I think uh, it is? And making, and making the same amount of money. You know what I think it is? He really likes Kansas City barbecue, and there's no major league team in Memphis. So <laughs> he's, uh, he, I, I think, I think that's what it is, honestly. Yes. <laughs> Um, the Cubs have also been connected on Chris Archer and Alex Colome from the Rays. Uh, that one's been ha- hovering around, Archer's been hovering around forever, and I still don't see a fit. I, he's got four years of control left, and we'd be trading t- players with four years of control left unless it was Ian Happ. And, and I don't think the Rays want to give him up. I, th- I, I don't think they, it, it comes up every year, and we've never once heard from the Rays side of it that they're even like a little bit interested in trading him and as far as column goes we know they're interested in trading him but the cubs just signed brandon morrow which i think seems to take them out of the running for column because i think he was sort of a backup option to if we didn't get brandon morrow i also don't like alex column in terms of the numbers he put up last year he was okay but his gaudy number was saves and saves are very arbitrary and not something that I want to judge my relief pitchers on. So, yeah, Alex Colomay is a question mark. Don't know that I want even want the Cubs in on him unless it's for nothing. Uh, but it wouldn't be. So that one's pretty tough. I personally want the Cubs to go after Kevin Kiermeyer. But again, why would, why are the Rays looking to trade when they do have a pretty decent core in place? It's just so tough when the Red Sox and the Yankees are such big juggernauts already quickly within two years that it just kind of took the Rays right out of the, the competitive window. You know, and they've been rumored to shop Longoria. They've been rumored to shop Colome. Yeah. If they sell, if they sell, the pieces the Cubs need to get are not the ones they've been connected to, which is, you know, Archer and the most likely stuff to affect the Cubs is the fact that the Cardinals are looking to trade for guys. We know they're in on Machado. We know they're in on Colome. We know they're looking at Longoria. Um, we know they're looking at the possibility of J.D. Martinez as a signing. And uh, also that uh, the Pirates are looking to trade away guys. The rumors about them looking to trade Garrett Cole seem to suggest the Pirates are out. They're going to start trading off their pieces right now. We've seen the rumors about Cole to the Yankees, and it seems very likely that that's going to happen. Like, it seems likely that maybe this time next week, Garrett Cole will be a Yankee. And so that seems to signal that they wouldn't stop there in terms of trading guys. Because we've heard specifics of the packages that have been offered in that deal, that yep. the Yankees would be sending Clint Frazier and Chance Adams back to start, which seems to suggest they'd have no room for McCutcheon and he'd be going. For what it's worth, I if I'm the Pirates right there, I tell them Estevan Florial and Justice Sheffield or get out of here. And the Yankees obviously want to trade Frazier and Adams, and there might be a gap there where that might not even end up happening. Um, and if Yeah, that's, I, that's definitely my plan if I'm the Pirates, is I don't settle for less on Garrett Cole because you could still trade him at the deadline but I, I, if your team doesn't, doesn't work out. But I could see them wanting guys like Adams and Frazier who are young, cost-controlled, basically major league ready, kind of like a state of semi-competitiveness, the the other thing there is obviously if you if you gain a Florial type you don't necessarily have to trade McCutcheon now you can wait and trade him at the deadline to a contender who needs an outfield hitter boost. And I think also the Yankees are right not to want to give up somebody like a Florial for a Garrett Cole type who would essentially be something like an afterthought in their rotation. You know, like I mean they already have Severino. Sonny Gray, and Masahiro Tanaka. And Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, so like at this point, and like we know they're talking to CC Sabathia about returning. Yep. And so it'd be great to get someone like Cole, and I do still think they will, but in their case, they're not going to give up top, their top prospect for him. 
We're not going to give up the top guys. I think that, you know, obviously Torres, Miguel Andujar, uh, Estevan Florial, those guys are probably off the table. Um, it's easy to see why they would. Clint Frazier is as good a prospect as a lot of those guys generally, or close to, but it's easy to see why they would want to trade Frazier because, uh, they have Hicks, they have Brett Gardner, they have Aaron Judge, they have Giancarlo Stanton. So they got a. I mean, Ellsbury, I I mentioned the other four guys because Ellsbury isn't very good. The he's other, fine. He he hits. He's over 100 WRC plus. He's just getting paid a ton. They're trying. They're they're trying to offload his salary for good for, for good reason. But but my thing about Frazier is that he was not very good when he came up so, to the major leagues last year, and that might scare teams away or turn teams' attention to. Well, you keep your Clint Frazier. We know you've got this other guy. Um, so I don't think the Cubs. It, what? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, they won't be in on Garrett Cole. That's yeah. I, I don't. I don't. Final. I. I don't think we make a trade, but clearly trades can affect where we go and what we do within the you know teams within the division. So my favorite rumor, and the last one I'm familiar with, you may know another one. The Cubs were talking to the Indians about Salazar, right? Left-handed bat. Let, oh, left handed bat. Yeah. They did say Danny, Danny Salazar was a name discussed, but I think the Cubs could also be looking at Carlos Carrasco. Um, especially if you're giving up a guy like Ian Happ, who is big control. He's a big left handed bat. You know, like just the kind of, like, he's a switch hitter. They just lost Carlos Santana today, who's a switch hitter. You know, I, it, it makes a lot of sense, but Ian Happ for Danny Salazar doesn't because Happ has a lot more control the than one Danny thing... Salazar. He's a better, you know, the one thing that gives the one thing with that gives me pause about saying this could happen is that it's unusual to see these types of trades between competing teams. Right. I mean, they're in different leagues. They're in National League, American League makes it more likely, but still, it's very strange to see teams that are both currently competitive now swap pieces with each other in the middle of their competitive window. Um, and yeah, there could be some concern on the Indians' part that they won't be able to continue affording a guy like Carrasco or a guy like Salazar. But it also could be that they feel that weakens their position in the present right now in terms of trying to compete. Well, here's my thought process on this, is that the Indians don't want to shell out for J.D. Martinez, Mike Moustakis, Eric Hosmer, the big bats. They don't want to shell out for that. And beyond them, you've got like Todd Frazier, Logan Morris, and Jay Bruce, who are kind of there, but those are not guys you hang your hat on for the long term. Plus, they may still make 10 to 15 million a year. If you're the Indians, you have a plethora of starting pitchers. And you look at the Cubs, the Cubs have a plethora of outfield types, big hitter types, and Ian have probably the most expendable among those with the highest value. Because I still, you know, a lot of people think Kyle Schwarber is very expendable, but at the same time, his value right now much lower than Haps is. Haps coming off a year where he did way more than anyone thought he was capable of. Yeah. Which is what leads me to think the Cubs are dangling him in any of these trade talks trying to get a bite because they feel like, you know, I don't think Ian Haps going to hit 30 home runs a year. He, that was never his strength. And if he does hit 30 home runs a year and he's striking out 35% of the time, he might be a riskier play going forward. But also, if he does hit 30 home runs a year and he cuts the strikeout rate, you know, that's a player to love. So dangling Ian Happ makes a lot of sense, especially in these deals. And if you're talking to the Indians, I don't think Ian Happ for Danny Salazar makes any sense unless you're getting something back besides Salazar. Um, but if you but if you take the if you take that Ian Happ for Carlos Carrasco, who was great last year, who's 31, he's more maybe more on the downhill, but probably still good for a while, and he he's under contract for four years, the kind of pitcher the Cubs would go after, and if the Indians were looking to capitalize on Carrasco's great year last year, on top of you know they've got Corey Kluber, they've got their number one guy, they can still Salazar still fits into their rotation. 
their rotation, which was crowded, is now a little bit clearer. It it makes sense on some kind of level, and I can't help but wonder if a guy like Mike Montgomery wouldn't sway the deal. Maybe. Now, that is I say, yeah, and that's a very big maybe, right? If I'm the it, most Indians fans, you know, likely the front office hear Carlos Carrasco and they go, no, but. There's there's something there. there. The Cubs are definitely just not just talking about Danny Salazar because Danny Salazar for Ian Happ makes little to no sense for me unless you're getting like Tyler Naquin back or something on top of him where, you know, one of these crowded outfield guys, Ian Happ can play the infield, you know, unless they're trying to offload Jason Kipnis and stuff. They, they, they're very crowded in Cleveland yeah. in the outfield. They have a couple of guys like Naquin and Greg Allen who can – who are major league ready prospects, but Naquin didn't play at all in the major leagues last year after being third, second or third on the rookie of the year ballot in 2016. So, like, it's it's tough because I could see the Indians making trades. I could see them jumping in on some of these guys. I could also see them, you know, holding on to all their pieces real tightly and not not worrying about losing Carlos Santana, just inserting Jason Kipnis into the DH role and moving on from there. Yeah. So those are all the rumors that I've I've heard recently, but yeah, I mean, any, anybody else? No, I think we've I think we've covered pretty much all of it. Oh, and we forgot one person. Drew Smiley was signed by the Cubs on the day Brandon Morrow got signed. It was announced by the team. That one stayed under the radar because I don't think anybody even knew Drew Smiley was a free agent except for the Cubs. And uh, he's hurt for probably almost all of 2018, if not. Yeah, I mean, Jed had said, like, their hope is that he – they're looking more at him for 2019. And, like, if he comes back at the end of 2018, they said they would use him out of the bullpen. Not even going to try to ramp him back up as a starter at that point. Uh, so he's – what that is is, you know, two years, $10 million, That's hedging your bets for 2019. That's saying – in the long run, every team needs to try and have depth options in the starting rotation uh, beyond just five starters because guys get hurt. Guys are ineffective. Things happen. You need to make sure you have as many guys as possible who you believe can plausibly pitch at the major league level. Uh, if Smiley provides that in 2019, great. Fantastic. And especially if the Cubs sign a guy on, like, a one-year deal as a prove-it type to fill, like, the number five starter role this season, you know, even better because then you lose that guy and Smiley just fills in. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I like – I think Smiley was kind of always one of those guys we kind of talked about in the trade talks when we were looking across the, the scape of Major League Baseball for – Targets, cost-controlled targets. The Cubs could kind of go after. Yeah, and maybe maybe low low-cost reclamation types. Um, and Drew Smiley's name came up a lot. You know, it's the kind of guy that they signed him, and I went, oh yeah, well finally, you know. Yeah, I mean he was uh, he was because of the, got the Jim Hickey. Yeah, I mean Hickey connection too. You know, because of his injury, he was non-tendered. Yep. And uh, I believe Bleacher Nation was about the only place that brought it up. Kind of like had an article about him when he was non-tendered pointing out that he was like a really interesting non-tender guy who the Cubs might look to target. And what do you know, like they do go and target him and they get him. And it makes a lot of sense because, yeah, you stash him and you put him away for 2019. And like I said, you know, if you do, if your number five starter does end up being like a Chris Tillman type who you're probably signing for like a year. Mm-hmm or for two years or something with the chance they don't work out, then having Smiley around is great insurance. And we do yeah. have, we do have some young pitchers who might come through over the next year or so and be able to make it to the majors, but you never know. Guys get hurt. They're ineffective. It's great insurance to have a guy like Drew Smiley. And on top of that, I mean, there's a lot of people who think Smiley could be better in the bullpen. You know, an Andrew Miller type. And these kinds of guys, Mike Mo- Mike Miner and Brandon Morrow, are both guys who went through an elbow injury or of some sort and in their rehab decided, you know what, I've been throwing faster when I throw very le- very little. 
let's just throw little. And so both of them, you know, wound up being elite relievers. It's not unfathomable to have the Cubs rehab, rehab Drew Smiley as a relief pitcher. Yeah, and I mean, at two years, ten million, he's getting paid like a like middle of the road, uh, early reliever. Yep. So like, so. yeah. So there's a lot of upside there, and that money is not prohibitive to our pursuit of anybody else at all. So. No. Yep. So we forgot about him, but I think the Cubs move on. Um, well, we, I think the Cubs kind of stand pat for a little bit, let the market kind of clear out. Uh, I think we see some of these bigger names start to sign, like a J.D. Martinez and an Eric Hosmer. Um, we start seeing some big money get thrown around. but And then um, maybe maybe a trade or two. Maybe the Pirates try to sell. Maybe the the Giants actually just traded uh, Matt Moore to the Rangers, yeah, which is something that happened. Um, and maybe we do, maybe, you know, the Machado trade probably goes through to whoever gets him at some point. Um, and, you know, and then as everything starts to clear out, we start to see who's left, whose price is coming down, uh, who's being undervalued by this market, and who the Cubs can swoop in to kind of fill those last few spots on their roster to finish things up, complete the roster building for the year. Now, the fi- my final thing here, and it's probably the thing you know the Cubs fans probably want to hear the most about, is, well, do we re-sign Jake Arrieta if his price comes down? Do we re-sign Wade Davis if his price comes down? And I think that having those spaces, you have the space in the in the, in the bullpen, you have the space in the rotation. That's in case for now. Yeah, I mean, either one could happen, but I do functionally believe that uh, you're probably looking at guys in the second and third tier of starters and relievers because you really need just like maybe like a good specialist in the bullpen and a good number four or five type to fill out the back of the rotation. Uh, so that's all there is to it. The Cubs are projected to win 93 games with the roster as currently constructed. As much as signing a, a U Darvish or a Jake Arrieta would please me, you know, I can't say that, you know, the likelihood that we win 95 plus games goes that much higher. If this team is as constructed as current, you know, without a five starter, without a last bullpen beast, um, is currently constructed to win 93 games. I mean, just getting a little bit of boost, maybe from guys like Schwarber outperforming projections, Baez outperforming projections, Russell outperforming projections, those three guys, if they each go up like one or two wins, I mean, there you go. We got a hundred win team. Like, it's a, it's, it's a very good team as constructed, which is the biggest reason I'm happy. We haven't spent that much money. You know, we've got holes that can still be filled by cheap guys like Eulis Chassin, like Trevor Cahill, like Chris Tillman. We've got guys who could be, you know, we got holes that can be filled by Wade Davis. But the Cubs have flexibility, they have options, and they can sit back and wait. They could also make trades. We have the power right now. The Cardinals are the ones making big moves, doing the chasing. We are sitting in, patching our small deficits. I'm really thrilled. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's a good place to leave it. I think you yep. had good final words for it there. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, everyone, been great being with you again. Uh, you know, talking about the off season. Everyone have a happy and safe holidays. We'll probably be back with another one after the Christmas holiday. Uh, have like a pre-New Year's edition of the podcast. And uh, so we'll see you all then. Uh, follow us at DG Bloomberg, at DWS9Cubs, and at Blues on Twitter. Um, and, yeah, share it, retweet it. This is fun, guys. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. See ya. Yep. Another episode out. Bye.
Sing Those Cubby Blues is co-hosted by David Bloomberg and David Westgreen, produced and edited by David Bloomberg, with logo provided by Randall J. Sanders, who can be found at Randall J. Sanders on Twitter. To find more information about the podcast, go to at Sing Cubby Blues on Twitter or visit one of us at DG Bloomberg or at DWest9Cubs on Twitter, where you can engage with us and talk about us and maybe even give us ideas for future episodes. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll return for the next episode, which we hope to have up soon. Keep following the Cubs, keep cheering them on, and you'll be hearing from us again in the future. Thanks.